From ghost to ghost to ghost, you're listening to Scara Informa. It's the spookiest time of year, November, when we think about the amount of sugar we consumed last month and get ready to hunker down for a long, dark, and depressing winter. I'm Sonic Patel. And I'm Charlotte Thomason. And we're your co-hosts for this special episode of Terra Informa. While every single episode we produce recently is filled with an existential sense of dread and fear as we live on the precipice of utter catastrophe, this week we focus on more traditionally horror-focused environmental stories. We'll take you on a tour of some of the scariest natural spaces around the world, from haunted forests in Europe to haunted forests in North America to haunted forests in Asia. We'll also feature some plant-themed Halloween music, which is a weirdly specific genre. So grab a blanket, take a seat at our auditory campfire, and turn on all the lights in your house. Prepare yourself for some spooky ghost stories, creepy creatures, and poor writing as academic students try to write compelling scary stories. Before we begin the episode, we do need to acknowledge that this episode was produced on Treaty 6, Namiskwichiwiskaigen, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. And now, let's start our spooky tour of the world. Our horror tour of the world begins in the United Kingdom, in the Whitewood Forest a 500-hectare site in Oxfordshire, in southeast England. Of the many stories that live in the trees of the forest, the most famous, arguably, is that of Amy Robsart. Over 400 years ago, Amy Robsart was the wife of the Earl of Leicester, Robert Dudley. In 1560, Amy was found dead at the bottom of a flight of stairs with a broken neck and two head wounds. A coroner's jury ruled the death as misfortune or an accidental death. However, the public and media perpetuated a more sinister tale, one where the Earl orchestrated his wife's death. Spurring these rumors were suggestions of a romance between Robert Dudley and Queen Elizabeth I. We won't delve any more into royal scandals, lest we end up hung and quartered. Many modern historians disagree with these scandals, suggesting that evidence points towards breast cancer and suicide being more likely explanations for her demise. The lore of the Whitewood Forest speculates that the spirit of Amy Robsart haunts the woods. Years after her death, rumor goes that Robert Dudley was traveling through the forest and encountered her spirit, who told him, one assumes with an air of nonchalance, that he would shortly join her a dark prophecy that was realized when he quickly fell ill within 10 days and passed away. Modern historians suggest that Robert's death was the result of malaria and stomach cancer. The legend of Whitewood Forest foretells others that meet the spirit of Amy Robsart in the forest will meet a similar fate as the former Earl. Visitors through the woods have claimed to feel hands touching them as they traverse the woods and hear the hooves of running horses of long ago. Among the apparitions claimed to have been seen is a ghost of a horse-drawn carriage driven by a man and containing two weeping children. 
A number of paranormal phenomena reported have been centered around an old tree, speculated to be gallows, where accused criminals were hung. Let's head across the Atlantic for our next spooky story, which takes us to the eastern United States. Here is Hannah Cunningham for our next tale. Nestled in the forests of Pennsylvania sits the town of Centralia. Or perhaps I shouldn't say sits. Nowadays, it more broods and smolders, the wind whistling through the abandoned buildings of this ghost town. At one time, Centralia was a town sprung into being by the coal industry. It was incorporated as a borough in 1866, with its primary employer being the anthracite coal industry. The town's propensity for unfortunate happenings and dark dealings started off early when its founder, Alexander Ray, was murdered in his buggy by members of the Molly Maguires, an Irish secret society that was active in the Eastern United States. One local legend says that Father Daniel Ignatius McDermott, the first Roman Catholic priest of Centralia, cursed the land after he was assaulted by three members of the Molly Maguires in 1869. McDermott said that one day, St. Ignatius Roman Catholic Church would be the only structure remaining in Centralia. In the Wall Street crash of 1929, five Centralia mines closed, but bootleg miners continued to mine in some of the idle mines, where coal was extracted from pillars that had been left in the mines to support the roofs. Unsupported underground structures, very spooky but not quite as scary as the events that followed in the labyrinth of abandoned mines. In the spring of 1962, it was cleanup day at the town landfill, which meant firefighters showing up and lighting it on fire and letting it burn for a while. However, on this particular spring cleaning day, the fire was not fully extinguished. An unsealed opening in the landfill allowed the fire to leak into the maze of empty coal mine tunnels underneath Centralia. Other sources say that the fire started the previous day when hot ash from coal burners were dumped into the landfill, but all sources point to two things, hot stuff and a hole in a landfill. The fire continued to burn underneath the town for years. Sinkholes opened up in people's backyards and gas station fuel tanks heated up. Finally, in 1992, Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey invoked imminent domain on all the properties in the borough of Centralia, condemning all the buildings despite the town residents' legal effort against this decision. In 2002, the U.S. Postal Service canceled Centralia's zip code, and in 2009, the formal eviction of the remaining Centralia residents began. As of the United States 2018 census, 11 people remained in Centralia. The fire beneath the town still burns to this day, sending toxic gas and smoke to the above-ground world as it smolders in a 400-acre area below. If you were to take a stroll through where Centralia once stood, you wouldn't see much. Graffiti covers one stretch of abandoned highway, and you might notice a slight resemblance to landscapes of the horror movie Silent Hill. Apparently Centralia provided some inspiration to the screenwriter. Most of the buildings have been torn down, but one church remains. The Ukrainian Catholic Church, named the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church. Nice try, Father McDermott. Ooh, fossil fuels really are spooky. 
Our spooky tour of the world continues in the United States of America, where we turn our attention to a haunting in the Old House Woods in Virginia. The woods are a 50-acre area of pine trees and marshland along the Chesapeake Bay. Deep in the woods, there is an abandoned house, the Franny Knight Home. Among the stories of the abandoned home is a rumor that the house set itself on fire, only to then put itself out again, which honestly sounds like a pretty good fire smart system. Only once though, apparently, as the home eventually did burn down completely. As to the reason for this terrible fire, one can only speculate what the gender of the baby ended up being. Another mystery of the old house woods anchors not far from the shore. Rumor has it that a large amount of treasure is buried in the area, remaining there after the buccaneers that buried it were swept away in a storm. Nowadays, the old woods are privately owned, revealing the darkest creature of all, landlords. If landlords don't scare you, perhaps one of the greatest nemeses will. I'm referring, of course, to the compact, fur-covered animals that have been known to ravage both furniture and local songbird populations. Elizabeth Dowdell has the story. The epitome of a wolf in sheep's clothing, although only distantly related to the wolf as they share the same order but not family, beware these creatures, listener. You might have one of these sweet little bean pod snugglers in your lap right now, but their danger is ever present. I'm speaking, of course, of the cat. Our next tale of nature-based terror takes us halfway around the world to the sleepy fishing villages of Japan, where these hellspawn Hello Kitties have become island namesakes. Japan boasts 11 cat islands, or Nikoshima. And while they may seem like quaint tourist attractions, could they be hiding something more sinister? Cats are generally revered in Japanese culture, commonly considered a symbol of good luck and positive outcomes. Multiple temples and shrines have been built in honor of felines, and you are likely familiar with the lucky cat or beckoning cat, the maneki niko. What is this cat really beckoning you to? If you are unlucky, you might find yourself beckoned into the company of a bakaneko or changed cat a less well-known, but much more terrifying spirit. Japanese folktales suggest the Bakaneko is a cat spirit that has many different powers. It might shapeshift, possess human beings and manipulate the dead. It might chase you into the mountains with a pack of wolves, or it might just dance with a folded napkin on its head. All such behaviors have been reported. Legend suggests these cat spirits would come to haunt those who inflicted cruelty on a cat during its life. Alternatively, your cat just might turn into a bacaneco at the ripe old age of seven or 12 or 13, depending on the local lore. Now is that cat years or human years? Some bacaneco might have been born after a cat's tail was intentionally cut short. The result of Japanese folklore, which suggested a cat with a long tail could bewitch humans. This also explains why cats in Japan generally have shorter tails, along with natural selection over the course of a few centuries. 
cats with white tails were especially good at bewitching people. So I guess watch out for white and not black cats? Now there are some famous Bacaneco legends. In one, the cat spirit avenges a retainer killed after beating his lord at a game. The retainer's mother is distraught and commits suicide after sharing her sorrows with her cat, who then licks up some of her blood and becomes the Bacaneco. The Bacaneco torments the lord every night until it is killed by another retainer. In another legend, a family cat has been missing for some time when the family's matriarch begins acting strange. She starts taking her meals alone in her room and avoiding company. Her son and family become suspicious, only to discover grandma has become a cat monster. Once the monster is slain, the family cat returns from some misadventure and the matriarch's bones are found under the floorboards, having been licked clean and gnawed upon. Aoshima Island is the most famous of the cat islands. Here, the population of cats exceeds that of humans by a ratio of 36 to 1. You might be tough, but no human is a match for 36 cats on an island. With six humans and about 200 cats, Aoshima Island has a clear dominant species, and it's not us. This ratio of cats to humans has fluctuated over time, and today sits at a high because elderly residents of the island have died, with no newcomers to replace them. If you or someone you love has a cuddly little bean pod purr butts around, who starts screaming in the night, or more likely just before your alarm is about to go off in the morning, Watch out, you could be in grave danger. Ooh. If you're just tuning in, you're probably spooked out of your skull right now. You're listening to an extra scary fun drive episode of Terra Informa, or I should say Scara Informa of CJSR 88.5 FM. Our spooky tour of the world is about to take a terrifying 20-hour flight back to the United States of America, from Japan to North Carolina, located just above the aptly named South Carolina. We find ourselves in the woods south of Siler City, near Harper's Crossroads at the haunted site called the Devil's Tramping Ground. Within the woods, there is a patch of earth, a perfect circle, 40 feet in diameter, that is completely and utterly barren. Not a single flora will grow there, and sowed seeds and transplanted vegetation withers and dies. Apparently, animals will dig their heels in and refuse to go near the circle, and dogs will tuck their tails and whimper when brought near. Any object placed in the circle before dusk will be violently thrown out by dawn. Some report seeing red, glowing eyes in the circle at night. According to legend, every midnight, the devil itself makes its way to the circle, where it tramps the perimeter, killing all life and ejecting all items from it. Why does it do this? 
Maybe it is taking some ancient anger out on the place. Some suggest it plots new ways to bring evil into the world. Maybe it's just trying to get some cardio. Good for it, honestly. I'm more of a jumping jacks person. There have been a number of other explanations for the Baron Circle. One legend speaks of a historic battle between two indigenous groups. The battle sated the ground with blood, such that nothing would grow there any longer. Another legend is that the site is the burial ground of Croatoan, a great indigenous chief. Out of respect for the chief, a divine force keeps the site barren. If the name Croatoan strikes a chord in your memory, you may be thinking of another North Carolina infamous mystery, the missing colony of Roanoke. Mini mystery tangents. Roanoke was the first ever permanent English colony in North America. In the first year, the mayor of Roanoke left the site to travel to England to request more resources for the growing colony. Three years later, he would return to an empty settlement. All the population, including his own wife, children, and grandchildren, missing. All around the trees bordering the colony, he would find the word Croatoan and the letter CRO carved. The missing colonists were never found by the arriving party and the former mayor. The working assumption is that the colonists moved to the nearby Croatoan Island, where they joined an indigenous group, the Hatteras tribe, that lived there. The indigenous people were able to support the colonists, who had little resources and no knowledge of how to live off the land, as the indigenous peoples of the area did. This theory is supported by English artifacts being found among the Croatoan villages. But the legend of the devil walking the circle came to the area with colonists from England, Scotland, and Ireland. For these colonists, the mythology of the devil was significant in their folklore. These beliefs were rooted in their religion and spurred by cultural phenomenon like Shakespeare, who features creatures like witches, ghosts, and goblins in his works. A number of modern endeavors have taken up the challenge of investigating the devil's tramping ground. A journalist, along with his two dogs, stayed in the circle overnight. While not thrown from the circle by the tramping devil, he did report hearing footsteps in the area. Soil scientists have also explored the site, looking for answers to the barrenness. While soil in the circle did have higher levels of zinc, copper, and sodium, as well as a higher pH, soil scientist Rich Hayes, who conducted the experiment, found that the levels were not toxic and plants should still be able to survive in the circle. The study did note a pile of ash at the center of the circle. If indicative of campfires in the circle, these fires could be one of the reasons vegetation is pushed from the area. But the origin of the ash is not certain. Could it be the devil trying to stay warm while out for a jog? Lately, the devil's tramping ground has become a tourist attraction and party spot. The site is now unfortunately littered with food and beer waste, and the circle itself appears to be shrinking significantly. Whatever entity haunted the spot, whether the devil going for nightly walks, or an indigenous war ground, or an alien airport, or even just a deposit of infertile soil, has apparently abandoned the circle 
seeking cooler, more indie, unknown sites as tourists flock to the circle. Ah, oh, another great spot ruined by becoming too mainstream. Hello, listeners. Andrea Miller here. Ah! Where did you come from? I've always been here. Let's gas up the jet because the next stop on this spooky tour is taking us to Turkmenistan in Central Asia. Ordered by Iran and Afghanistan to the south, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan to the north, and on the shores of the Caspian Sea, the mysteries of Turkmenistan's largely uninhabited and unforgiving desert landscape are relatively unknown. Picture this, you're deep in the remote Karakum Desert, nearly 250 kilometers from the capital city Ashgabat. There are no roads or towns for miles around. It's early evening, but an eerie orange glow on the horizon illuminates the sky. Up ahead of you is the Darvaza gas crater, also known as the door to hell, the crater of fire, or the gate to hell. The door to hell is a massive crater in the earth, nearly the size of a football field, and it's on fire. It's not a volcano, it's not magma, so what can explain this flaming phenomenon? Let's rewind to 1971 in formerly Soviet Turkmenistan. A group of Soviet geologists and engineers were drilling for oil in the desert. Before they knew it, the earth beneath them collapsed, pulling the drilling equipment into a massive sinkhole and unearthing a massive natural gas cavern. Nobody knows for sure the extent of this damage and if there were any fatalities. The Soviets were quick to cover up the incident and Turkmenistan has wiped this accident from their records, meaning that nobody really knows what happened. Now exposed to air, the fumes from this natural gas cavern were so intense that local wildlife were found dead nearby. The solution seemed straightforward, to light the cavern on fire so that the methane gases would burn off in a few weeks. But the door to hell has now been burning continuously for 50 years. It's part something out of an apocalyptic nightmare, part Lord of the Rings. Covering the crater to control the fumes would be expensive, and harnessing the gas as an energy source in such a volatile environment wouldn't be worth it, as Turkmenistan already has the fourth highest reserves of natural gas globally. So the door to hell will keep on burning. The door to hell reportedly attracts camel spiders to its warm glow, who crawl towards the crater in vast numbers before being swallowed up by the flames. Just something to keep in mind if you ever decide to pitch your tent nearby. The Turkmenistan president designated the crater and surrounding desert a nature reserve in 2013. Hundreds of tourists now flock to this phenomenon, photojournalists or vloggers on a gap year, hoping to join the exclusive club of those who have managed to secure a visa to this country and to witness the danger of this site. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Tell me what's more terrifying than that. There is nothing between you and the crumbling edge of this fiery pit, meaning one wrong step and you could plummet into the flames. Rumor has it 
that some have already met that unfortunate fate here at the door to hell. Damn those spooky fossil fuels again. Sounds like they are the real doorway to hell. Our haunted tour of the world next takes us out of Asia and back to North America. Ooh, spooky, poor travel planning. Our final story takes us north to another island. This time, the bonny old coast of Prince Edward Island. Tell us something scary, Kurt. I've only experienced one haunted forest that I know of, but I don't think I'll ever forget it. Located in Cavendish, PEI, the Green Gables historic site lies, home to the fictional character of Anne Shirley, aka Anne of Green Gables, and also the cemetery where author Lucy Maud Montgomery now rests. The site features the homestead that inspired the novels about the adventures of Anne Shirley, an old-timey schoolhouse that is most certainly haunted, and a forest simply called the Haunted Wood. I was 13 at the time I went to Anne of Green Gables' historic site. My angst and awkwardness were at their peak when I was traveling with my mom, my sister, my grandma, and my grandpa. In a typical 13-year-old fashion, I did not give a single care about being at Green Gables' house. To be clear, I'd love to go back and fully experience it, but I was a kid. So I went off on my own on the site, skipped the tour, and found myself at the mouth of a dark, scary-looking forest. There was a sign at the mouth of the woods that explained that L.M. Montgomery's ghost is frequently seen wandering the woods. However, nobody really knows what her spirit is looking for. I didn't believe in ghosts at the time. I was 13 and invincible as far as I was concerned. I tied my Spitfire hoodie around my waist and I made sure my beat-up Airwalk skate shoes were at least somewhat tied up and attached to my feet, and I set off into the woods. I got about 10 minutes into the 30-minute loop with overwhelming confidence. That's when I lost my cool. I heard a tree branch snap behind me. I spun around and expected to see another wayward wanderer in the woods, bored of the tour like myself, but there was nothing. I stood in that same spot squinting to try to see if perhaps somebody was hiding in the woods trying to scare me, but there was nobody. Then I noticed how ominously dark the woods were getting, and how you could hear the breeze on the tree leaves, and it was almost as if they were speaking to one another, telling each other how afraid I looked in that moment. I totally flipped out, afraid to go back the way I came in because that was where the tree branch snapping noise came from. I sprinted ahead on the trail into the unknown, but the woods seemed to grow louder and darker as I ran along the path. It seemed like I had been running for hours without seeing a soul, when in reality it had only been five minutes. That's when it happened. I turned a corner on the path and skidded to a stop. Twenty yards ahead of me, I saw her, the spirit of L.M. Montgomery. She was dressed in an old-timey white dress. She seemed pale and to have kind of like a hue of a light around her in the dark woods. I stood there petrified with fear as she slowly approached. She got closer and closer, and finally I screamed as she was 10 feet in front of me. I think I peed my pants a little bit too, honestly. The woman now standing in front of me burst out laughing, and I was thoroughly confused. She was not the ghost of L.M. Montgomery. She was an actress who worked at the Heritage site, pretending to be from 1908. She was eating a bologna sandwich as she walked through the haunted wood on her lunch break. I was absolutely mortified. 
I then walked the rest of the loop by myself trying to forget that embarrassing interaction, but enough time has passed that I think I can come clean about peeing my pants a bit and screaming in fear of a young woman eating a bologna sandwich. I'd love to go back to that place and walk through the haunted woods. I fully believe in ghosts now, although I've never had an experience. And if I'm being honest with myself, if I did have an experience, I'd probably just scream and pee again. And thus, we end our tour of haunted forests. Did we miss one? Probably. Is an island technically a forest? Probably not. Is a burning gas crater in the middle of a desert a forest? Definitely no. But it is spooky. That's all the time we have for this week on Scara Informa. Thanks to all our contributors, Torekis Blandy, Andrea Miller, Elizabeth Dowdell, and Hannah Cunningham. We've been your hosts, Sonic Patel, and Charlotte Thomason. And we'll catch you next year for the return of Scara Informa. And of course, next week and every other week for environmental news and stories on Terra Informa.